One of my favorite hymns to sing is the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because it's a hymn that helps us in a number of ways. Not only does it remind us of the beauty and the glory of Christ, it also directs us as we sing to keep our eyes focused on that beauty and that glory. I know you don't need this to be reminded of it, but let me just remind you of the first verse and chorus of that hymn of the faith. It begins with a question. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see, but there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. So as a result, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I hope those words are familiar to you and what a powerful testimony they offer to the church in song. And these words are powerful because they are true. And they affirm the, the clear teaching of Scripture regarding what we as the people of God are meant to do, are called to do in moments of distress, in moments of difficulty, in those moments when our soul is weary, are troubled. We are to turn our eyes to Jesus. We are to look to God, our Lord, who is the source of all that is good. This hymn came to mind for me this week as I was reading Psalm 16 because there's a lot of similarities in what they are calling us to do. In fact, I would say David adds to the call by giving us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit more reasons why in those moments of distress, in those moments of difficulty, we should turn our eyes to our Lord. And here is what David ultimately, under the inspiring work of the Spirit, seeks to affirm in us. When the brokenness of this world seeks to diminish our life or steal our joy, we, God's people, can rest in the truth that God offers us eternal good. When you feel the brokenness of this world, when you find yourself in a situation where it seems like the the difficulties, the weightiness of life is diminishing your life or stealing your joy. There's a promise in scripture that you can cling to today that God is offering us eternal good. And hear me today, temporary trouble is always trumped by eternal good. The hope of this psalm of confidence is to stir in us a confidence in the Lord so that we would turn, him, turn to him immediately when we face hardship, not as a last resort. Let's hear the words of the psalmist today in Psalm chapter 16. Here's what God's word says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their, their names on my lips because the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, David, who wrote this psalm, was no stranger to difficult moments in his life. And we read, we read about them through the testimony of Scripture. We're told that he had to fight off predators like lions and bears as a young shepherd as they came to attack the flocks that he had been given care of. He fought a Philistine giant named Goliath. He was anointed king and had to flee from the jealous current king named Saul as Saul tried to murder him. He had moments of incredible sin and heartbreaking consequence. His own son tried to steal the throne right out from underneath him. Now, we don't know precisely what event led David or led David to write this psalm. It could have been any of these moments or something else, like an illness that had started to attack his body. But whatever the situation was, it seems like David is fearful for his life. He's desperate for his life. And yet in the midst of that threat, In the midst of that despair, David shows some remarkable God-given discipline as he chooses to dwell in faith rather than fear. As David reflects on the goodness of God, he cries out to God. In verse one, he says, God, this situation is too big for me. If I'm gonna survive this, you have to preserve me. And as soon as he does that, as soon as he makes that turn from dwelling in his situation to dwelling on his God, something happens. He begins to be so consumed with the goodness of God that the badness of his situation pales in comparison. It begins to leave his mind. Those situations become strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. And so as we see here in the testimony of Psalm 16, David is actively reminding himself and us by God's grace why we should turn to God in moments of distress, why we should turn our eyes to the Lord. That seems to be the key question that he's answering. Why do we turn to to God in moments of difficulty? Let's see why David says, why David encourages us to turn to the Lord when our soul is despairing. And we're gonna look specifically at verse 11 because I think verse 11 provides a framework for the whole of the psalm. It's kind of a, a summary of everything that David says in all 11 verses. So firstly, why do we turn to God in the midst of our difficulty? David says, we turn to God in difficult moments because he makes known to us the path of life. We turn to God in difficult moments when our life is threatened, when death is before us, we turn to God because he's the one who makes known to us the path of life. One of the clear affirmations of all wisdom literature in the Bible, and the Psalms are part of wisdom literature, is that it celebrates the grace of God to us through his word. God has given us 
remarkable revelation that leads to true life. Think about it. The Bible, God's word to us, tells us why we exist, why there's life at all, why God created it. It helps us understand our purpose, but it also helps us understand why we feel brokenness around us. There's something not quite right. There's something off with the world and we feel the weight of that. And the Bible tells us, it informs us that, that sin is the reason for this weightiness, this brokenness, these moments of difficulty. It, it affirms in us and gives explanation to what we know to be true. We, we feel this world passing away. We feel the inevitability of, of brokenness weighing upon our shoulders. And we also know that there's no way in our own strength and our own wisdom to escape the grip of this brokenness. And yet God in his mercy has shown us why we feel these things and the hope of escaping them only through the redemptive work of Christ. This is the gift of God's word. This is the gift of the work of the Holy Spirit through his word to help us see what we cannot see on our own. He has made the path of life known to us. And that's important because there is also a path of death. There is a path that leads to greater brokenness, greater difficulty, greater death that many around us are pursuing. And the psalmist makes mention of this. He says he delights in the saints, but he talks about those who are not saints in verse four. There are those who run after other gods and their sorrows aren't diminished. Their sorrows aren't removed. Their sorrows are multiplied as they, as they offer drink offerings of blood to, to gods who cannot hear them, gods who cannot respond as they cry out, hoping to grasp something that can help them in their difficulty, that can help them in their brokenness. Their sorrows multiply. They, they feel the weight. They know they, they should be looking to some sort of higher power to help them escape what it is that they're walking through. They just not, have not seen. They have not heard. They have not, they've not been given the eyes to see the answers that God has given to us as his people. And so friends, we delight in the fact that God has stepped into our brokenness. He has descended into our desperation to help us move off of the path that leads to death and on to the path that leads to life. We bless the Lord who gives us counsel, verse seven, because we needed his counsel. We needed his wisdom. We set the Lord always before us through the revelation of himself in his word because his wisdom, the categories he gives about all of life, help us to understand what we cannot understand in our own strength. And those deep moments of the night, when our thoughts are, are captured by the cares of this world, we have the ability by God's grace to deliberately turn to the word of God and help us to dwell on that which brings life. It's amazing how moments of difficulty reveal the quality of our faith. It's amazing how moments of difficulty show us what truly has control of our hearts. When faced with the prospect of death, where do you turn? 
When faced with the prospect of death, who do you trust with your life? Who do you look to for refuge and protection? A God that you have fashioned in your own image that will not be able to respond or the God who has revealed himself and his grace through his word. David is saying, the only hope you have is to turn to the God who is for your good, in whom you have all the good that you need and apart from whom you have no good. Join with the saints and the land, the excellent ones who delight in God, who push one another to delight in God, not with those who turn to false gods. In moments of difficulty, we turn to the Lord because he offers us the path of life. Secondly, David says, we turn to God in difficult moments because his presence offers us fullness of joy. Does that sound good? Fullness of joy. This is another thing that wisdom literature makes a big deal about in the Bible, something we've already touched on in our study in the book of Psalms. True joy, true sustained happiness, satisfaction, they are only found in God and the presence of God. And much of this psalm is a, a celebration of the singular goodness of God. It doesn't matter what I'm losing or what, what my enemies are threatening to take from me so long as I have God. Verse two, he says, I have no good apart from you. And then he expands upon this in verses five and six. Here's how much he means that I have no good apart from God. And he's, he's using the language here of the land of promise. This, this section of verses here in verses five and six are meant to call to mind the moment when the land of promise was being divided among the tribes of Israel in Joshua 13 to 19. The Lord is my chosen portion. He's my cup. He holds my lot or my fate. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, the land of Canaan was the land of promise, the inheritance of the people of God. And it was an evidence. It was supposed to be a sign of God's blessing and faithfulness upon his people. It was a, a guarantee of his covenant promises. It was flowing with milk and honey. It was indeed a beautiful inheritance. There wasn't a, a better piece of property you could buy than what God had given to his people. And each tribe, each tribe of the people of God received a portion of this land to, to settle upon, to dwell in, to, to flourish in, except for one tribe, the Levites. They received no land, no land. And this is because of something that God had told Aaron earlier in the Bible. He was the brother of Moses in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Listen to what God said. You shall have no inheritance in the land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So here, the Levites, the priests of Israel, had no inheritance, no land inheritance. Their only inheritance was the Lord. And while that may seem like they got cheated or robbed, that may seem like a disadvantage to some for David. He sees this as a beautiful promise. 
because the priests were the ones who got to enjoy the presence of God the most. They were the ones who got to to get closest to God's manifest presence as he condescended into the tabernacle and then into the temple. Because they had God as their inheritance. They had the greatest inheritance of all. And there was nothing around them to distract them from the gift of God's presence. And so in this moment, David is identifying with the Levites. Even though he's king. Even though he's not a priest. Even though he had access to the greatest land you could grab He is actively choosing the Lord as his portion. He's choosing the Lord as his beautiful inheritance because he knows that in God there is fullness of joy. Hear me. The best thing that God could give us is himself. Not land. Not anything on this world. The best thing that God could give us is himself. And so it doesn't ultimately matter what the world takes from us or what our enemy tries to take from us. If we have God, we have all that we need and no one, nothing, no power, no entity, no being can take him away from us. Now, David had to learn this lesson the hard way, right? We've already mentioned this a little bit. He had the joy of being anointed king and victory over Goliath immediately tempered. That joy was immediately stolen by the jealousy and instability of Saul. So yeah, people were singing his songs. Oh, David's killed thousands, thousands. Oh, people are singing those songs, but did he get to enjoy that? No, it was taken. And then David suffered from the consequence of his own sin. He stole the wife of another another man who was a faithful soldier fighting for him And then he had that man killed when he couldn't cover up his sin with her. That moment of pleasure brought about a whole lot of pain in David's life, including the death of that immediate son and then later the son that tried to steal the throne from him. Here's the point. Victories fade. Generations don't sing the same songs. The pleasures of this world, they don't last Because what is here was never meant to satisfy us. God gave it to us as a gift to point us to him where true satisfaction is ultimately found. And any satisfaction, any happiness, any moment of joy that we taste here is meant to be a reflection of the greater joy and happiness that can only be found in God. And so the call here from David is to drink deeply of that water that will cause you to never thirst again to taste and see that the Lord is good because he is good. And there's no good that's greater than him such that if we have him, we feel that there's no good apart from him. And then finally, he says, we're to turn to the Lord in difficult moments because he promises eternal pleasures. He promises eternal pleasures. Now, this psalm Psalm of Confidence takes a bit of a turn toward the end of the psalm. As David begins to express confidence in God, even beyond his current life. David's life is threatened, but even in the midst of that threatening, God, or David trusts God. So much so that even if his life is taken, 
even if this moment results in death, David still trusts in God. He says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to the place of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. David's communicating here a belief, a promise. He's, he's resting his, his hope in a promise of life beyond this life. And, and pleasure that will extend beyond this life into the next. Somehow God will sustain him even in death. Somehow God will be able to bring life from death. Now, David doesn't fully know how God will do this. He doesn't fully know how God will be able to secure victory over death. But he trusted that God would do it. Because God promised that he would. Now, the good news for us is that we have a little bit more revelation than David did. And David, or David's prophetic statement is picked up by the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. And he informs us and all those listening at Pentecost how it is that God brought victory over death. Let's read together Acts 2, verses 22 to 36. Here's what the word of God says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the, de the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. It was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says concerning him, hear these words, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, place of the dead, or, or let your Holy One see corruption because you have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness, with your presence. Now listen to Peter's explanation here. Brothers, I, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died. He's dead. He's buried. He's still there. His tomb is with us to this day. But being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would, he would set one of his descendants upon the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all, all of that we're witnesses to, being therefore exalted as the right, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what David wrote in Psalm 16 verse 10 could not have been about him. He did die. He is decaying. But David saw something greater, greater than himself. He saw a worthy place to put his hope in the midst of trouble, in the midst of difficulty. He was looking forward to a greater king, a greater priest, a greater prophet who would secure his life and the life 
to come. Peter connects the dots here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the security, the the person in whom we should place our trust, the one who will ultimately rescue from our greatest danger, the one who will rescue us from our greatest moment of despair, the one who can comfort our soul like no one else is Jesus. It's Jesus. He is our ultimate source of confidence in times of distress because he has conquered our greatest enemies. Sin and death have been defeated on the cross and in the resurrection. And so if the greatest thing that we have against us, if the greatest thing that we fear has been conquered, then friends, what do we have to be afraid of? As one of my favorite pastors, the late Tim Keller often said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then you can trust that God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Or to say it another way, if the resurrection is true, it's all gonna be okay. And here's the beautiful promise of scripture. The resurrection is true. So it's all gonna be okay. So friends, when our soul is weary and troubled, when we feel threatened by the brokenness and enemies of this world, let's follow the example of David. Let's turn to him and say, you have to preserve me, oh God. I'm gonna take refuge in you. And here's why, because he is our Lord and we have no good apart from him. All the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones. They're the ones who know this to be true because they've seen the revelation of God and responded, placing their hope in him. We're not gonna be like those who run after false gods, who pour out drink offerings, hoping to satisfy them, not knowing how to satisfy them. No, we're gonna be the kind of people who says the Lord is my chosen portion. He's my cup. He holds my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. If we have God, we have a beautiful inheritance. We're gonna, we're gonna bless the Lord and his counsel and his wisdom. We're gonna allow his word to instruct our hearts in the, the heat of the moment, and the dark despair of the night. We're gonna set the Lord always before us because we know that if he is at our right hand, we will not be shaken. Rather, even in difficult moments, we can be glad. Even in difficult moments, we can rejoice. Even as our flesh fades, we can dwell secure because God in Christ will not abandon our soul to the place of the dead. He will not let us see eternal corruption. Rather, he will make known to us the path of life. Rather, he will offer us fullness of joy. And more than that, he will give us pleasures forevermore. And what could be more life-giving to a soul in a desperate moment than that. So friends, how can we respond this morning? Let's get a little practical, thinking about what David offers us to hear by way of example. Let's spell out in practical terms how we turn to the Lord in moments of difficulty. I don't know what you walked in today with. I don't know what diagnosis 
Maybe you got this week or are dealing with, I don't know what trouble you're having at home. I don't know what trouble you're having at work. I don't know what spiritual warfare you've been experiencing, trying to walk a life of faithfulness. I don't know what sin you've committed. And you're dealing with the consequence of that. Whatever difficulties you feel this morning, if your soul is weary and troubled, let's, let's hear the encouragement of David. Let's, let's take the example of scripture and respond as he did. Firstly, if you're in one of those moments, you remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God. Remember what God has said to us to help us understand the reason we're here and the reason why we experience the brokenness of this word world. You know the word. You delight in the word. You memorize the word. You meditate on the word because in the word, through the word, God has given to us the path of life. He has made known to us the path of life of life. While others around you are seeking to satisfy gods they do not know, are seeking to satisfy gods that cannot hear them, nor protect them, nor respond, you turn to the Lord. Let's be like Elijah and not like the prophets of Baal. Do you remember the story? The story of, of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? when there was a drought put over the land because Ahab was wicked and God was punishing him and all the people who were following him moving into idolatry. And there's this great showdown on Mount Carmel, book of 1 Kings. And the, the prophets of Baal, hundreds in number, gather around this altar and they begin to cry out to their so-called gods. They begin to, to cut their arms all day, they're crying out to a God who cannot hear them. Doesn't matter how much blood they spill. Doesn't matter how much blood they offer. There's no one to respond. The foolishness on display, and Elijah mocks them. Maybe you need to speak a little bit louder. Maybe you need to pour out a little bit more blood. Friends, how many around us and their moments of desperation and difficulty are turning to gods who cannot hear them and cannot respond regardless of what they try to do. No, let's be like Elijah. In humility, let's come before the one true God and say, God, we need your help. We need your help and you have to preserve us. You have to be our refuge. And here's the promise of scripture. He is a God who sees and hears and he will answer so you cling to his word. You cling to his promises because when you cling to his promises, you're clinging to him. I can't tell you how many times. I, I, I'm not stressed like some of you are. I don't have brokenness like some of you are engaging in right now. But there have been certainly times in my life where I've stayed up late at night worrying about things, trying to solve things in my own strength and power and coming to the end of myself. And how many times have I turned my Bible over, open or turned my phone on to Philippians chapter 4? Verses four to seven. I live in these verses. Paul writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. What does always include? All the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again just so make, to make sure you get it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your trust in God be known to everyone because God is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. 
By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like to turn to God. Not to cut yourself or pour out blood offerings on an empty altar, but to turn to the Lord and his word and rest in it. So know the word of God, remember the promises of God. And then secondly, surround yourself with people who help you remember the promises of God. Surround yourself with the people of God. That's why he says in verse three, after saying first, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. The saints in the land are the excellent ones. They are the ones in whom I delight because we need people to remind us where we are to turn in difficult moments. Because it's easy to have a flesh kick. It's easy to have a a response that's not honoring to God when we feel the brokenness of this world. And so we need to be surrounded by people who are pursuing the same things that we are pursuing, who are on the same path that we are on. It's hard. It's hard to walk in faithfulness. It's hard to remember what, what God has promised. We need the people of God to help us. This This group, this gathering is a gift that we should not take for granted. There are people around us who are are striving to walk the path of life and they they are desiring to encourage us to do the same. Let's be with the people of God. Let's let's delight in being with the people of God because they help us to walk forward in times of distress. You know, the enemy wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be alone because that loneliness and isolation increases your despair and increases the likelihood that you'll turn to sin and disqualify yourself from giving testimony to the Lord. Reject that. Reject that. Don't don't allow the enemy to keep you in isolation. You come and gather with God's people. Delight in them. Allowing them to push you toward faith and good works for the glory of God. Thirdly, also truly evaluate what's causing your distress. How do, how do we respond in moments of distress? One thing that I think David provides for us here is an evaluation of what's actually causing our distress. Do you know that sometimes difficult moments are a grace from God as they help us see and remember what is truly good? And so anytime we feel weary, anytime we feel troubled, anytime we feel the brokenness of this world, it's good to ask some questions before the Lord. Put yourself before the Lord. Open your soul before the Lord. God, is this distress caused from the possibility of losing something that I may love more than you? Is this distress the consequence of some sin that God is trying to warn me about so it doesn't get worse? Or is this broken moment just the result of living in a broken world and having broken people around me and God is stirring my heart to remember that I'm made for something greater, a different place. God always redeems difficult moments. He's always using everything he allows into our life. Remember the story we learned from, the lesson we learned from the the story of Joseph. Everything that happens in our life is father-filtered. 
Nothing happens in our life that God does not allow, and he will always use it for his glory and our good. And so don't miss the lesson even in difficult moments. Rather, allow God to fashion your heart even into greater alignment with his so that you're remembering that you have no good apart from him. And that as long as you have him, you have everything that you need. And then finally, let's rest in the eternal security of Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. If you are in Jesus, you have much to rejoice in today. Be glad in your hearts Let your whole being rejoice. You have a beautiful inheritance in Jesus. You have been given the path of life. You have access to the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. And you have an eternity waiting of glorious delight. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that sound like something that's good to dwell on? Let's listen. Let's let's look at the example of David here. Listen. Listen. This is a psalm of confidence. But we wouldn't even know that David's in trouble except for the first verse. That's the only clue we have that something difficult is going on, that his life is being threatened because for the next 10 verses, he chooses to dwell and focus on the goodness of God rather than the difficulty of his circumstance. What an example for us, right? We're gonna have difficulties. We're gonna have trials in this life. But what would it look like for us, rather than spending 10 verses dwelling on the difficulty, to spend 10 verses dwelling on the goodness of God? What if the majority, the vast majority of our life was characterized not by a moment of trouble, but an eternity of good that awaits us? So acknowledge the trouble. Yes, we live in a broken and fallen world, but friends, you rest You rest in the infinite goodness and promises of God and let that be a foundation for you. You build your life upon the rock. So regardless of what storms come, what winds blow, what rains fall, your house can stand. Rest in the eternal security of Christ. And let me just also say this. If you are not in Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus and yet, by God's grace, you're here today or joining us online. Let me tell you, the only hope you have for salvation is in Jesus. He is the only place that can offer you refuge from the, the troubles of this life and the eternal troubles that await in an eternity separated from him in a place called hell. So would you turn to Jesus today in repentance and belief and find refuge in him? There's joy there. There's pleasure forevermore. And there is life, true life. And it can only be found in Christ. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend a few moments asking God to help you know how to respond to the preaching of his word. Are you troubled? What are you dwelling on? The trouble or the God who's over all of it?
Have you found in God the path of life? Has he opened your eyes to see the gift of his word that leads us to life? Or are you still looking in the wrong places for an escape from what troubles you? Have you said in your heart that if you have God, you have all that you need, that there is no good apart from him? Have you found joy in him? And the promise of pleasures forevermore. Have you clung to that beautiful gospel promise that in Jesus, your soul will not be abandoned? You will not see corruption, but you will be given a glorified body to worship God with for eternity because of the resurrection of Christ. If the resurrection is true, it's all gonna be okay. Can you rest in that today? Just think about all the good things God has given us in Jesus. Rejoice. And if you're not in Jesus, if you're not in Christ, would you take refuge in him today? There's greater trouble that awaits. Come to the one in repentance and belief today who can truly rescue you from all of that trouble. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Father, would you help us know how to respond in a way that brings you glory, that honors you? May we be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.